I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today, I'm talking to 24-year-old Keenan Mitchell. Keenan went on the Chance of a Lifetime program and spent three months in India. He's a man of multiple talents and interests. He's a snowboarder, skydiver, skater, and musician. He paraglided in the Himalayas and is a professional-level barber. He currently leads a campus ministry at Bridgewater State University in Massachusetts that saw 10 people get baptized in the last 12 months. Listen as he talks about his experience with Chance of a Lifetime and how he's seen God at work in his life. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. I had an awesome week last week. I took two guys that I disciple, Coleman Gordon, who leads my campus ministry here in Tucson, and Brian Mackey, who leads the church in Flagstaff, Arizona. And we went up to the Grand Canyon and hiked from the top of the South Rim down to the river, the Colorado River, camped overnight, and then returned the next day. It was awesome, and it was challenging at the same time. We were hiking down. The elevation difference from the top, it goes from about 7,000 feet of elevation at the south rim down to the river. It's around 2,000, so it's about a 5,000-foot elevation change, and it's you feel it. My legs were like jello get going down at the end of it. Spent the night. My legs were sore the next morning, like, oh, my gosh. When you look up, it's crazy. You're like, how am I ever going to get back up to the top? And uh, we just had a great time. We were walking along, and there was this older couple that were stopped by the side of the path. And I I stopped and said, are you okay? And they said, yeah, we're okay. We're actually, well, we're not okay. We, The wife had injured her knee, and they said they spent the night right there on the trail. And they, they were waiting for rescue. And so we kept you know, we couldn't really do anything for them. They said, no, don't worry, we're, we're, we're going to get rescued. So we hiked up another hour, and Brian and Coleman and I, and two um, foresters were on the way down, and they were carrying crutches. And so their rescue was that they were going to have to crutch their way out to get out. I was like, oh, my gosh. And I heard that there were... There was a helicopter that had come and picked up two people, three people the previous day, one a heart attack, two heat exhaustion. It was crazy. So we were, I was so happy to get up. It took us about six hours to climb out 10 miles and get to the top again. My legs are still sore to, to this day. I mean, it was really a test and a trial, but I love things like that, especially in retrospect. You go, that was awesome. It's amazing when you look back and go, how did I make it out of there? That's it's amazing what your body can do. So that was great. So that that was my week. It's just a great time with those guys. I just think about Jesus, you know, getting away with his disciples, going up into the mountains. And I thought, man, you know, you, you got to spend those times making memories, doing hard things. It's just 
it's something that we'll, we'll uh, take to the grave with us. Just it's an awesome memory. So great time. I hope you're having a great fall, and I hope you're coming to the Climb Conference. It's Thursday, November 30th through Sunday, December 3rd. It's going to be in Dallas, Texas. Sean Wooten is kicking it off Thursday night. He's going to blow it out. He's so pumped. He sent me an email, and he's just, like, fired up about what's happening in, uh, I think he's in Romania now. I think he's in Sofia. I can't, I can't remember. It's somewhere over there. But he says just cranking. And so he said he's just got so much stuff to share. Kevin Miller is preaching Friday night, and he's going to do an amazing job. And, you know, I've, I've been sharing. Josephus uh, was, um, I think, a week or two ago. He's in Kevin's ministry. And there's just so many good things happening in Boston right now. It's just very encouraging to see um, the mission-mindedness and, and see the fruit being born. So that's very encouraging. I'll be preaching on Saturday night, and then on Sunday morning, it's Dave Bliley and Sean Wooten. They're going to be team teaching a lesson, just sharing good news, not only to the conference, but also to the to the church in Dallas. And that doesn't even include all the classes throughout the day. I mean, there's going to be so many great classes from Darren Overstreet. He's going to be talking about dealing with uh, progressive theology. Dave Pacht is going to be laying out a new program along with Joel Nagel on just equipping and strengthening small ministries. I know Jeannie Shaw is going to be teaching the women and leading a women's section. There will be a whole morning devoted to women's issues and women's women's classes. Jeannie, uh, Christy Peed, and my wife Pam Skinner will be teaching that morning. Uh, Joel Nagel, of course. Joel Peed's going to be preaching or teaching during the daytime. And we're going to have table table conferences, basically um, lunchtime where people are going to be giving specific classes for those who are interested in specific topics. For instance, Nate Bigby is going to be teaching on tent making and developing side hustles, side businesses, so that you can do the ministry part-time or support yourself in alternative ways. And so many others like that. Um, Glenn Neergarter, who I interviewed a couple times, a few episodes, few episodes back, is going to be talking a little bit about um, administration. So there's a lot of material, a lot of help and support for people who are leading ministries, whether a church or a, a ministry in a larger church. And that's that's what it's all about, just preaching the word, making disciples. And so I just want to encourage you, it's not too late. We still have a month left. Go to robskinner.com and register for the conference. And if you have registered already, make sure you get your hotel room booked. It's such a great location because it's so easy to walk to so many awesome restaurants right there. So it's very close to the airport in Dallas. Dallas is a huge, huge airport hub, so it's easy to get direct flights to Dallas, and and they're cheaper because there's so many flights going in and out. So let's see you climb. I want to see you there. Please register today. Go to robskinner.com, look for the Climb tab, and register if you haven't already. So I'll see you in Dallas in just about a month. Keenan, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Really glad to have you on. How'd you become a Christian? So I became a Christian when I was 14 years old on March 28th, uh, 2013. And so I just turned 10 years old spiritually, glory to God. But, um, you know, I did grow up in the New York City Church of Christ in New Jersey. And my parents, our disciples, got converted around the college age. And um, there's a long story, but the, the gist of it is the love of a brother. Um, my blood brother, his name is Seth. Um, 
we've talked about this so many times. It's such a cool God story. Like we, we grew up, we're brothers, kind of that, that uh, somewhat natural brotherly conflict was present. But um, for me on my end, there would plenty be plenty of times I would say my brother and I definitely didn't get along, but I would hate my brother. There, I had a lot of anger growing up um, for some reason. And and we shared a room. And so the the story that I love to tell is um, my brother, despite how different we were, I was more of the athlete. He was more of the musician. Um, he struggled to do really well at things. I was kind of more of a natural, you know, naturally did well at most things I did. And so when he um, was like 13, I found out that he had um, 12, 13, a lot of depression and um, had a really tough time wrestling with that side of his life and at the time because I was such a I was like a jerk to him I was not kind when he told me that uh it totally reshaped how I treated him and it reshaped how I saw him and when he um started studying the bible and became a disciple totally changed his whole attitude for me of like he's calling me a spaz and I hated it I was like (laughs) I'd freak out I'd hit him and but then when he became a Christian, he started to do such different things that changed my life. Like he always would invite me to hang out with him or play basketball or football, even though he was horrible at those things. And I was great, but he just wanted to spend time with me. And I'd always say no. And then he'd invite me to hang out with his friends and like Matt Rupert and Mark Persing, some of these guys. And I would really love those guys. So I was like, oh, but I wouldn't do it because I just didn't want to admit that I was being warned. But then the, the kicker of it all was every night before we'd go to bed, he'd say, Keenan, I love you. Good night. Mm. And I'd never said it back. Oh, I'd never said it back. It was a long time of him saying these things, doing these things that for the first time in my life, despite being a kingdom kid, I got to see how Jesus changed someone. Mm. And the more that I did, the more that I realized how empty I was inside and I wanted to imitate him and eventually started admitted that I wanted to study the Bible uh, I was so embarrassed to say it to him, but, um, so the Bible and then my brother baptized me and he's been my best friend since. So God has definitely used my brother to help me become a Christian. Wow. So how much older is he than you? He's two years, seven months and nine days oh. older than I am. Okay. And how old are you? Uh, I'm 24. <laughs> Okay, 24, and there's so much more, according to Neil mm-hmm. Young. That's a, that's a great, great age. That's awesome. Well, you got involved in Chance of a Lifetime, the program that I, I spoke with Doug, Doug Arthur about a couple times here on the, on the program. How'd you get involved with that program? So, um, so I got to go to college at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. <laughs> and... Um, you know, prior to my senior year, COVID hit, and instead of going into senior year, I took a whole year off, went into the full-time ministry, uh, stayed at UMass at the time, um, but then went back to school, senior year happens, and praying about, okay, God, where are you leading me? And I heard about the Chance of a Lifetime program, um, because that year I went into the ministry, they had started the program, and I was like, dang, like, that would have been such a cooler experience to have done. But so I, I thought about it and then, um, but right before graduating, um, I got a call from Kevin Miller, who leads the Boston church. And 
he kind of casted a vision for me and two other brothers, his brother Kaladay and Sam. And he was like, I have this vision of you guys all signing up for chance of a lifetime together and getting to do this really cool thing and get, you know, get closer with one another. I think you have a lot to learn from each other, but then to go have a great impact. And so um, after a lot of prayer and advice and I had some other doors open, I just realized like, A, A, like the other option was staying in Pioneer Valley and keeping working with the campus there. But I just felt like I was kind of doing a lot of things on my own. Like this would be a new chance to get involved with like 15 other 20 something year olds just go have like a blast on this adventure with God. Um, I've always dreamed about living overseas. And so the phase three portion would allow me to do that. So I was like, Oh, that'd be so cool. Um, and uh, yeah, just getting to also like work at camp hope for kids was a dream. I used to go there as a camper. So then to get to go be, you know, a part of the staff was like a dream. So it was just like, yes, yes, yes. And then like get paid to do all of that. Like, okay, come on now, let's go. <laughs> so that's, uh, and then I committed and, and I started in uh, yeah, May 22. In May of 2022. Okay. So, so you were going to UMass Amherst, which is in Western Massachusetts. Is that, is that where it's at? Yeah. Western Massachusetts. P- Pioneer Valley. Yep. Pioneer Valley Church of Christ. Okay, that's the name of the church. And then the city is Amherst, and the the church's name is, okay, Pioneer Valley. I've never even heard of that. Is that where, uh, near Springfield, or? Yeah, so it used to be called the Springfield Church of Christ. Okay. And then, um, so, yeah, so the, it's called, so now it means a Chicopee, Massachusetts, pretty close to where Springfield is. Yeah, it's it's not a part of the Boston uh, Church of Christ. It's kind of its own independent um, church of about 200 disciples in the Springfield area. Right. And that's where Kevin went, Kevin Miller and Chris Zillman went to school there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So it's got a nice legacy there. You just dropped out of school, like after your junior year. Tell me, was yeah. that because of COVID or what, what prompted you to do that? No, it is so funny. It is basically right junior year in that, in that March time, that March, April, we're about to go on spring break. Spring break turned into forever COVID. They were going to be fully online come my senior year. And I was thinking about doing it, but then I was like finding out all the freshmen that were going to come in all these new disciples were going to no longer going to come, but stay home and do remote. And I was like, what kind of senior year is that? And I remember when I was a freshman, how important the seniors were and helping me get excited about my college experience. And I was like, I'm going to have no influence on anyone if I just go and do the school. So I instead, um, I wasn't in a rush to graduate. I was like, I don't know, let's, let's do something crazy. And so I prayed about going on some adventure with God. That's all I called it. And I wanted to move overseas and um, I prayed about it. I had some really cool conversations with, uh, it was an idea I might be able to go to Paris, but then God kept closing the doors and kept opening them to just stay at UMass and just be on staff. Our campus ministers had just stepped out of the ministry. So there would have been no one leading. And so it just was like, you know what? All right, cool. Let's, let's stay here. And, and I'll just lead, lead the ministry. And I had a friend move back, um, for my freshman year she was an accountant moved to boston i called her randomly and was like just catching up with her a great friend of mine and she was telling me about oh i'm like quitting my job you know i want to um maybe work back in the college system and i was just thinking and 
literally that day I had got a call randomly from my old campus minister saying, Hey, we're looking for a sister to co-lead with you. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even think about that. I'm just trying to do my thing. And after that phone call with my friend, it turned into her moving back to Amherst and going to the full-time ministry with me, which was just the coolest, most exciting uh, experience. So that's what we did um, Uh, that year. That's great. What was her name? Her name's Faith Obewe. Okay. Faith Obewe. Way to go, Faith. Okay, so how was that? How was that year? I mean, how did it turn out? Oh, first six months, first semester was awesome. It was literally a dream. We had um, nine guys, nine campus brothers living in a two-family house together, <laughs> and none of them were going to school. Like, like they were in classes, but all online. So mm-hmm. we were literally in the house, but it was a disciples' home, and so we owned it. So we like built a patio onto the side of the house, like a fire pit in the backyard. We'd have like slip and slides in the backyard with like our cars in the grass, like shining lights on it, spike ball. Like, so the first six months were like grilling out together, just bonding devos in the house. And so it was, it was kind of weird being the minister in the house. Like that was my whole ministry basically for the guys. Um, But then uh, it'd be funny. I love if, my guys hear this because the second semester we all agree was terrible. It was like at each other's throats. Mm. Everyone's getting mad at each other. A um, lot of like house talks as like, what are we doing you guys? Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was quite a time. Um, Tell me about your experience in India. This is uh, perhaps one of my favorite questions to be asked right now because India was without a doubt one of the most transformational experiences I've ever had. We moved there there May 20th of this year and then we moved back to the States around August 10th or 12th. Um, so I was there for almost three months. So I kind of split it up and it's it's a lot. There's so much that I could share about India and the people and um First, kind of just what is India like? Like, it is a crazy place. I was in <laughs> Delhi. Um, so I was in Delhi the whole time. And um, I mean, India is just, it was always surreal. When I'd be in India, I'd be like, I cannot believe I'm across the world in India right now. Like, mm. it was just a really um, a crazy thought. But India itself is colorful. It's vibrant. It's a lot of music, a lot of noise. There's constant honking everywhere you go. There's cows in the streets. <laughs> you know, it's 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 amazing. <laughs> it's definitely different than what I was used to. Um, and I got to live. So the reason they brought us to India was there were um, there was a new school of mission that they were seeking to plant in Delhi. And India, the Indian churches had already had one mission school in Bangalore with about um, maybe 14, 15 students throughout India who had been training in the ministry. So what they did was they took all of those students and they took all of those trainers and they all moved to India and to Delhi. At the same time, the Americans, the six of us that went to, to Delhi. And so all of us were transitioning at the same time. We all lived in the flats together. The girls, there was like 11 of them. The guys, there was 10 of us. And uh, it was crazy. So the girls have it a little harder than the guys. There was three queen beds for 11 girls. Oh, my gosh. So they're like stacking up three or four in uh, in a bed. 
basically. And for the guys, we had three bedrooms. We each had our own little mattress. Um, that was just crazy, you know, living together <laughs> and, you know, cooking and having different foods and sitting on the floor and just hot. And you're like, this is crazy. This is cool. Um, and uh, and I would say it was amazing. I got great t- taken care of in a great way by the Indian churches, but or by the disciples there. Um, so that was like what it was like kind of uh, when I first got there. But so many incredible lessons that um, I, I've taken away, um, which I can share if I'm going to share some of those. Please do. Um, so if I had to, so people ask me about this question a lot and they're like, you know, if you could describe India in one word, what would you say? And the only word that I've really come to believe is as as true as I can get it is the word raw. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's beautifully and tragically raw. Um, I think that when I say that, I, I, when you look at the word raw, it's about life in its true state. And um, I mean, come from the U.S., there's just, there's this own way of doing things there's this kind of bubble we have as a as a country but you go around the world and me in india it was eye-opening to see how raw life is you know you walk around and it's it's a it's a weird balance of um of class of where you see you know you're walking down the street and there's just um you see the poverty in many ways the physical poverty materialistic poverty the relational poverty you can see um which was was very raw you know like kids with no clothes just playing in the dirt in the street as i'm walking to the metro station Mm. and um you know people coming up to your car and you get to have moments of connection but you just see it in their eyes you can see a level of brokenness um and a level of joy at the same time it is a it's a really interesting experience um and uh the idea of of uh climbing the socioeconomic ladder is different. You know, people just kind of are who they are. They're dealt their cards. And, and even in the disciples, they're just true to what they believe. They just, they're raw. Like they just love God. They're single-minded about it. And, you know, it was really cool to see. And so that's kind of like the beauty of it, right? There's something so great about having um, facades stripped away of like comfort and, um, easy lifestyle like all that's removed and that can be hard but you get to experience such a true life like you just you're sweaty you know you're you're dirty you smell bad but you're like you know what this is just me i'm just gonna be me i'm not gonna fake things any makeup you want to put on you know just comes off you know it's just it's interesting um and uh but but the tragic part right is that you just see such such a broken world um so much hurt and uh, you kind of wrestle with those things in your mind at the same time. So that's that's kind of how I would describe it. And then um, some just quick lessons that I learned. Um, I, I would say that the, the biggest lesson that I feel like God taught me there, um, I ended up getting sick for 20 days. It's the infamous deli belly. And uh, it's a combination of... Uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to make anyone screamish, but uh, your stomach hates everything about you when you have deli belly and uh, it makes it hard to eat. And um, so you start losing weight and you it's just not pleasant. Let's put it that way. So got really sick. But um, Dinesh and Caroline George, who 
are an incredible couple who've been in the, in India for a long time, leading the way of God's kingdom. And they hosted me for like those entire 20 days and just loved me and spent time with me. We were watching TV shows together and having meals together. It was, <laughs> they're like my parents. They became my parents when I was there. Love them, love them, love them. Um, and uh, one time when I was having a quiet time, I think, like I said, this podcast is all about big living, having this adventure for God, making life count. I'm very wired that way. Like I want those things. And if I was to tell you my ambitions in life, you know, it's like, I want to skydive. I want to live in a foreign country. I want to, um, I don't know who knows, own a business and just do crazy things for God. And I can think that way, but I had this moment while I'm doing all of it, right. I'm living overseas. I had gone paragliding in the Himalayan mountains, like a, a couple weeks prior to that, like living this life everyone would want. Right. And I had this moment where I was studying, I've been studying James all summer and um, it talks a lot about um, envy and selfish ambition. There's this one part in, in James chapter three and there's where, where envy and selfish ambition are is where every evil practice is basically. So I just started to kind of go down this, God led me down this mind uh, path reflecting on my life, reflecting on ambition and, and what do I want to do and selfish ambition. I was like, dang, that's pretty simple. It's just ambition that only benefits you. Right. Like it's, and I started to realize that um, I do have all these big ambitions for my life, but many of the things I want to do come from a place of seeking happiness, not so much seeking to have an impact on the world or, or in God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um but reality only benefit me. And I think that was one of the hardest things to come to terms with. So I was like, even being there and helping the church, like, why am I really there? Am I there because it's satisfying some dream that I've had just to have a big life or really to be used by God and to benefit the lives of others? And I had to wrestle with that because I think a lot of it was just because I wanted to be happy. And so in my life now, as I wrestle with having a life that counts, I have to wrestle with the motive and India and being there really exposed it all. And uh, so I'm figuring out, you know, what are my ambitions that really are going to go and have a huge impact, not for me, but truly for them or for, for God's kingdom. And I, I'm, I'm working on that one. I'm figuring it out. <laughs> okay. So you, you got sick for 20 days. Is that right? 20 days. So you had a lot of, a lot of time to think about that. And yeah. Um, who were some of the people that went with you on that trip? So, um, there was a team of six of us. Um, so there's three guys and three girls. So we were all in cold together. It was Isaiah Young, um, a brother named Kalade Ajuape. He's actually on revive right now with Sean Wooten, um, in Romania. Um, Isaiah is in the full-time ministry in Boston here with me now. So it's cool. We all kind of went into the ministry and then, um, three sisters, Alex Lallensack, who's in Boston. She's a full-time nurse helping out ministry part-time. Um, Brielle Almonte, who, um, went back to working, um, full-time as a computer engineer, but serves in the ministry uh, on her own time. And then Alexis Sanchez, who, um, is amazing. And she moved down to Philly to work with the youth and family full-time in the ministry. So, uh, yeah, the six of us went together. If someone were thinking about chance of a lifetime, would you recommend it? 
absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. I mean, it's a guaranteed growth experience. You will get closer to God as a result, 100%, because it's going to stretch you in every way imaginable. Mm. And the Bible promises that produces growth and character. So if anyone's looking for growth and character and hope, Romans 5 will teach you, go on chance of a lifetime. Okay, so you finished that this in this August. You, you're in the ministry now? You're in the full-time ministry in Boston? Yeah. So was it just kind of a natural progression? I'm just going to go into the into the ministry. I mean, what, what led you to, to choose ministry? Yeah. So, um, yes and no. I think that there is a natural progression, um, because phase two of chance of a lifetime is you get to be in the full-time ministry and they place you in one of the regions in Boston. And I got placed in the, the Southern coastal region of the Boston church for my nine months in Boston. So when I was there, there was no full-time campus minister already. And so after the year, um, Cash McCarg, who leads that region was, Hey, we'd love to have you stay. You know, if you, if you want it, the job is yours. So after that conversation, that was right before leaving, that was before leaving for India. That was while I was working there. And so I had some time to pray. And, um, in some ways I always knew I was going to go into the full-time ministry growing up and my parents were in the ministry at a time. My brother was in the ministry for a time. Um, I was trained as a teenager and in college very intensely. And so in some ways it was the natural progression of things, but I had to wrestle with why, again, why am I doing this? Like, am I doing this because it's just the right thing to do? Or am I doing this because this is what I want to do? And this is where God's given me the gifts and I want to do it. And so I had to wrestle through that. And, um, so I decided to go into the ministry just before leaving for India. Um, and the biggest surrendering match, I would say, because it's hard. I mean, I there's other things that maybe I'd want to do sometimes. Like they're maybe more comfortable and more like predictable in their lifestyle. And like, those are very much a temptation for me. I could want those things. And, um, but I had that like, urge I had that thing inside of me that's some might call a calling that, that little thing that's like come on Keenan like you gotta surrender here like let me use you so it was a while of me praying like to let go of the comfort lifestyle you know like as much as I want to do crazy things I really love being comfortable it's great and uh easy so um I remember praying I remember this one day um, right before leaving for India where I prayed 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 and I, I just realized like okay, God, like, I'm ready. I'm ready just to surrender the comfort piece. I'm ready to surrender the predictable lifestyle piece. And I just have to let go. And I, I clung to Psalm 23 at the time where it's like, it felt like the dark valley. Like, I'm going to let go of all these things that give me so much value. And okay, God, like, I just, you know, you know where this dark valley will lead and it promises quiet waters and the green meadows. And I, 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 I got to let go of the control of my life. And, and, and I wanted God to have his victory in my life, but it was also like hard to let go. So right. prayed, prayed, eventually just let go. That brought a lot of peace. And then um, went to India, learned how to be an effective minister in a lot of ways, came back. And now I've been doing it for the semester started in September. So only for two months now full-time, full-time. Okay, so you're down Bridgewater State. Is that 
at the area Bridgewater you... State University. Go Bears. Okay. Okay. So you you mentioned your parents. Your your parents were in the ministry? Okay. Yeah. What what are their names? Um Dave and Margie Mitchell. Okay, so Dave Mitchell, I've I've had him on the program. He's a, a success coach, like a leadership coach. Yeah, yeah, he does life coaching and um yeah. What advice was he giving you when you were wrestling with that decision? You know, I love my dad because as much as he's a life coach, he tries to not life coach me unless I ask <laughs> for it. Um, I think honestly, I just felt supported. They, my parents both just supported either way. And I mean, it's helpful. I, I'm inspired by people who parents, they're not disciples and they go into the ministry and they have to face that persecution of like your degree, your degree, like, what are you doing? And that was very much my dad's experience with his, um, places father to a degree. Uh, I'm not sure all the details of that, but it can be harder. You know, my parents being in the ministry, you know, they, they were open to whatever I really would dream about. And they're like, mm. just go for it, go for what your adventure is. And they let me wrestle with God in a lot of ways, mm. um, to make that decision. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit, you, you seem like a man of many talents. You, I've heard you like to skate, snowboard, you've mentioned mm. paragliding. Uh, anything else that I'm missing? Skydiving, surfing. No, yeah, I love, I've always loved action sports since I was a little kid. Like just adrenaline filled things that you're like flying down on a bike and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to crash, but let's just keep going. And I don't know what it is. It just makes me feel um, thrilled. And I love that kind of stuff. Well, tell me about what's your worst injury? Uh, you know, what was great is I actually didn't have many injuries for the longest time, um, until one year specifically, um, like I started skateboarding, like my mom bought me a little skateboard, you know, I don't remember it. So I think it was like two years old, something like that, like just waddling around rolling. Um, but I remember when I was like 13, 14, I was in eighth grade and, you know, my coaches on my sports teams hated me because I would like do these action sports during the seasons. And they're like, but I was good enough at the sport where they were like, they couldn't tell, like they couldn't force me to quit or something because they, anyway, but, um, eighth grade, I remember was my first real injury. I was snowboarding, um, in Killington and uh, I loved like where the ramps and the rails are, all that train park stuff. And, it was the last run of the day. Everyone had gone inside. My brother and I wanted to do one more run. So we go up. You know, you never do the last run. You never go crazy. <laughs> it's the rule of, but you know, you just, and uh, it gets icy. So anyway, all day I was hitting this one ramp and it, it has like a blind landing. So I, I jump off and then there's a guy sitting in the, he must've fallen, but he's sitting right there where you would land. Oh no. And like everything slows down. You're like, oh no oh no, this is not going to feel good. So I'm trying to not land on the guy. So I, I kind of land next to him and I, I fall out, I fall and um, I just snap my wrist, like just broken wrist instantly fall again, going down the mountain on it, just weeping. And uh, that was that ski trip. I lost, I didn't get to play the rest of that basketball season. Like my coach was not happy. And then literally I started, so I started studying the Bible at that time. And uh, right before Bible study, I was on my bike. And I was like trying to jump over. I stacked up those, um, from the East coast, you know, we have so much snow here. So you have these bags of salt. 
um, or anywhere it snows that it helps the snow melt. So I piled like five of them on top of each other and I was going to jump it. And I was like, Oh, let's do it. So, you know, my driveway's a circle. So I, I bike, 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 I jump it, I land it, but, um, I start turning to go down this hill and the bike threw me off and my, my handlebars, I like belly flopped onto them and I, and I fractured my ribs oh. and, uh, knocked the wind out of me, all this. And so that was, that was a painful one, but that's a really only my only injuries actually, after all these crazy things, just those two. When you mentioned the paragliding in the Himalayas, what was that? Like you, you got dropped out of a plane or something like that? Uh, a little different. So um, when we were in India, the six of us who were on the coal program, plus um, one of my best friends, who's a disciple out there in the Delhi church named Vishal, um, we all went plus Dinesh, Caroline and their son, Joshua. And we did this trip up to Northern, Northern India. Um, it's a place called Dharamshala or McLeod Ganj. And it's right on the left side of uh, the, the Western side of the Himalayas. So um, I had this vision of like us all going paragliding. And I was like, I don't know if we have to get permission about this thing, but like, let's do it. Like, let's just go. So we ended up um, while we were on this like little trip for a week, there was a, a place where we can just kind of, you know, pay to go paragliding. So you drive up early in the morning, it was like 530 a.m. We drive up the mountain and uh, it's different than skydiving because the parachute's already pulled. It's already out and they lay it out and then you just run off the mountain and it catches air, and then you really just like coast around and um, get to take in the views. It's actually, it sounds adrenaline filled, but it's very relaxing, funny enough. So it's kind of like parachuting and like kind of like hang gliding at the same time. Yes, that'd be a great way to put it together. You take off like a, a hang glider where you have kind of a ramp and the air catches it. Yeah. But you, you didn't have to do any training for you. You just kind of step into it and just do it. So you have a, you go with someone else. You have like a, the professional. Oh, got it. And you're in got front it. of him. Got and then it. you both have to just run, 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 run. Got it. Jump. And then you just, you just follow along whatever he says to do. How long was your flight? Uh, it's like a 10 minute thing. You wow. start it, but it was, it was cool. It was the, um, it was the tallest paragliding site in all of Asia, second tallest in the world. So we're about 8,000 feet up and you, um, yeah, you just, you literally just run and, uh, you can't, you fall. It's not good. Some people fall and then like you kind of fall off the cliff and you don't die. Usually the wind catches you and you, we get scraped up. So like that would happen. We saw someone do it. And then the guy in his limiting limited English just goes, don't do that. <laughs> just run and then uh, it kind of lifts you off and uh but it was it was so breathtaking i mean it was it was really cool wow okay so eight thousand feet or eight thousand meters uh feet feet okay so the, the ele- that's what the elevation was okay okay so you also are a, a musician what what instrument do you play um i play the guitar Okay. I do. Are you in the worship team or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, um, that's all a funny story in and of itself, how I got into that. It's a long, funny story. But um, yeah, my, my brother was a musician growing up, like I had mentioned previously. And um, my mom was a, a big musician, actress. And so I kind of rejected that side of me, like for a long time. And then 
God kind of pushed me into helping out with the worship teams. And so um, freshman year of college, when I got more into playing guitar and then I've been playing it now for since freshman year of college. So, okay. So you just picked it up in college. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And any favorite artists that you, you want to give a shout out to? Uh, you know, I'm so bad with artists. People are always like, you know, that song by that guy. And I'm like, you gotta play it. I don't know. <laughs> it's not really. I mean, my brother's in a band shout out the hope. So's he, uh, creates his own. Um, my brother's an incredible musician. Uh, He's on Spotify, the Hope Sos, H-O-P-E-S-O-S. Um, he's coming out with a new album soon, actually. So Awesome. So you, you also cut hair professionally? So um, not professionally. I, I, um, I got into it about three years ago, and um, there's actually a cool story behind how I got into cutting hair, of all things. Um, do you want to hear the story? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> um, so three years ago, um, also during COVID, all the, you know, barbershops are closed and all that kind of stuff. And I was telling you, I was living with um, nine guys in one house. Right. It was quite the time. But, uh, but two years before I started cutting hair, I saw um, a video of... Um, barbers and hair, you know, hairstylists going out into the streets and spending time with people who were experiencing homelessness and getting just to um, not just have a momentary interaction, but get to have a rather profound moment with these people. And, you know, you get a fresh haircut. It's just, you feel good. You're like, wow, right, like exactly. I'm him or whatever. And I was just really inspired. Um, and I was like, dang, I wish I could do that because I really, I really see in the scriptures, God's heart for the poor. Like he, it, it is in his DNA. And, um, I think we have a long way to go of continually learning how we can imitate that heart and, uh, as disciples. But so anyway, I was like the time I loved, I was like, um, learning how to best help people who are in those situations and the best way that I can, you want to be sensitive because you, you know, all these different when helping hurts, there's a book about that. And, I wanted to try to figure out how to do it. And so anyway, two years later, I was being, I was in Pioneer Valley still as in the ministry and um, Saj and Sharma's wife, who Lisa, who was leading the church, um, she came downstairs during a D time and it's like, Hey, do you know anyone who wants this? And it was just like a cheap clipper and some scissors and some guards. And I was like, yeah, I do. I would love that. So then in COVID, I started to learn how to cut hair, like YouTube videos and I have a great friend, Johnny, who's about to get married. And I was like, bro, like, if you let me cut your hair, I'll give you free haircuts for life, no matter how good I get. <laughs> and he was like, all right, man, cool. I started cutting his hair and then other roommates' hair. And then it, like, took off. Like, I just kept doing it and learning and learning. And um, so three years now, um, the cool part of it is, like, I, I feel like God wants me to do this. Um, and the short story is that, um, legally without a license, I don't have a barber's license. You can't charge people without a license. It's the way the law works. So I wrestle with that. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, like, does it really matter? It's like 20 bucks. Right. Like, right. but the Bible's like dishonest game, like stay away. And so I had to wrestle with that. And there's a time I was struggling. I was like about to start charging, like whatever. And, um, I wanted to get some cordless equipment so I could start to prayerfully go into the streets and spend right. some time learning how to 
cut hair in, in the streets and um, I needed cordless stuff to do that anyway. So I go to a campus retreat in North Carolina, meet a guy um, named Lalo who wasn't a disciple at the time and was just coming and visiting. And I met him because my friend was studying the Bible with him and connected us. Hey, what's up, man? Da, da, da. We go la- that night to a waffle house as we do at campus retreats, <laughs> no money and needing uh, waffles sitting across in him. And somehow we're talking about barbering. And he said to me, and I'm telling him about, um, I'm trying to get this equipment, but it's expensive and I can't get paid. Da, da, da. And he's like, Oh, how much is something like that cost? And I was like, Oh, it's like 150 bucks for what I'm trying to get. And he was like, so if someone gave you $150, like right now, would you buy it? And I was like, what do you, what? Like, what do you mean? He's like, no, I'm serious. Like if someone gave you $150 right now, would you buy that clipper i was like yeah of course he's like okay great and he hands me his phone and he says i'm gonna buy it for you and i was like what and then not only that uh so i ended up buying this thing right so i'd have to pay for it god totally blessed that in a crazy way but then i had surrendered the whole idea of charging like okay god whatever and then um this was after the stimulus checks had hit so i had gotten that stuff but i get another random check from the government for 500 dollars about two weeks after i get back from that retreat which to me was god saying keenan like i want you to do this but you have to trust me like i'm gonna bless it so it was crazy and so to this day um I'm like so close to starting to go work in the streets. I've, I kind of got a little caught up with trying to get perfect haircuts that I lost the vision for a little bit. <laughs> so now I'm, I'm almost there and uh, prayerfully um, come, come this fall, or this spring, I, I really want to start that, but I can be a little scared. So I, I I'm like, all right, God in faith, let's do this thing. <laughs> what would it take for you to become a professional to get your license? So, um, so you go to barber school and it's about, um, between 12 to $15,000 to go. And you go for, you got to get um, your license is like a training. I think it's like a thousand hours or something like that. And um, being that I'm not really in it for the money right now to spend that much money just to have a piece of paper isn't worth it. Got it. So that's, yeah, I'm, I'm not spending that much. I don't think, I'd, I don't know if I ever make that much back if I did it. So, right. So this is just your active service. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Well, let's, let me ask you this question. What's the most inspiring spiritual experience you've had? So it's such a great question. Um, well, let me break it down a little bit more. Like what insight has really inspired you? What, when you just think about your relationship with God on an internal level, what, what's really impacted you where you go, man, that really, that insight, that, you know, view into God's word or just a thought that came to your mind really impacted me. And secondly, how have you seen God work in people's lives that you've touched? Yeah. I mean, I can be fully honest about that first question. Um, It's so recent. It's like 17 days ago, recent. Um, And I, we had the campus retreat in New England um, this weekend, just now. And I got to teach a little class on it. And um, I'm learning a lot about what Jesus meant when he said to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you. 
my power is made perfect in weakness. Um, in a lot of ways, and even like some of these things we've talked about already, um, a lot of my life can come across like the poster child, kingdom kid, uh, strong disciple, whatever, you know, ambitious guy. And um, with that, I, you know, I've always struggled with being vulnerable. Um, I've always struggled with understanding my emotions. Um, easy to ride the, the joys of the faith, but not go deep enough to really know I'm feeling sad or I'm feeling frustrated. And, um, you know, Paul in that scripture goes, talking about like this super apostle thing and like all these apostles are being held up for what they do. And Paul's like, I'm going to be a fool for a second and tell you all of the things that I've done just to, to validate. He's like, I hate doing this, but like, let me tell you. He's like flogged and shipwrecked and Hebrew of Hebrews and all this stuff. But then he, he goes to that next part where he says, all that's useless. And Jesus gave me a torment, a, a, a thorn in my flesh. And Jesus tells him, my grace is enough for you. My power is in your weakness. And being up, being growing up in the church, um, you know, I, I, I can be such a slave to doing everything just right. Like do it all right you know, study the Bible, right. You know, rely on your training, you know, be strong. But that weakness part is weird. It's like, I don't get it. And so I, I feel like God has been just totally blowing my mind with learning. What does it mean to be poor in spirit as he teaches in Matthew five. And when you look at the, the examples in the scriptures, like the, um, the sinful woman who goes to the Pharisee's house and is weeping and washing Jesus's feet with her tears and her hair and perfume. And I'm learning that being poor in spirit is to be desperate for God and to see that you can't, you can't earn God, no matter how talented you think you are. Like there is an ocean that separates you from him. Mm. And I just feel like I'm in a season of life where I've done everything right for so long. And I still feel so distant from God. I still feel so tired because I'm working so hard and I'm learning the beauty and the power that like recently there's this one time where I was, I'm learning to be more real, more vulnerable. Like that woman was with Jesus, just come in to the relationship instead of being all strong and sculpted and perfect. Like, no, I actually feel inadequate. I actually feel pretty lonely. Um, I feel and recently this time I felt, I just kind of felt this thing in me for a while where I know I have the Holy Spirit, but I almost feel like I don't. Like I'm praying these things and I don't feel like God is working in ways that I would imagine if I had the Holy Spirit in me, it would, it would be crazy. You would see like this crazy thing. And I tried, I tried being vulnerable. Okay. I tried being poor in spirit and I went to this park and I was praying. And I was like, God, like, I, I just feel, uh, I didn't know the words at the time, but I was feeling so, uh, those words, like inadequate with him. And I felt lonely. I felt like because I'm the, I feel like I'm on the spirit. I feel like you're not with me. I feel like you're not really right here with me. And I was really sad. And, and I just told God, if you hear me now, like send a bluebird to come land on this bench right next to me. <laughs> And uh, I'd love to tell you, Rob, that it happened, but it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, and I call my dad. I'm frustrated. And, and, I, and I have a Bible study. So I just go on in my life and I have a D time and I go to this ice cream place. 
this is a crazy story. Um, I go to this ice cream place and there's only, it's me and my D group. And then um, one woman with her couple daughters, one works there. And all I said to her was, are you in line? And she's like, nope, not in line. So I go just order my chocolate chip ice cream. And we go sit down on this bench kind of over to the left. And this woman that was behind me walks over and she comes over to me and she's like, Hey, excuse me. Can I talk to you for a second? And I was like, yeah, like what's up? And she said, um, I just wanted to come over here to tell you that I can, I can feel the presence of Jesus in you. And I can tell you have the Holy spirit. What? That was my reaction. <laughs> I was like, stop. Like, did you just really say that? And I don't know all of how this works yet, honestly, but in my weakest day where I finally got real and desperate for God to move, he moved mm. in a crazy way that I can't justify. Even if he sent the bluebird, I, I could have just thought, <laughs> all right, whatever, this bluebird wanted to sit here. But God in his own way knew how skeptical I was and was like, I'm going to do it in a way that he could never, he could never have justify by another means. I didn't tell her about God or I wasn't sharing my faith or anything. So spiritual experience wise, I, and I'm a minister, I'm all these things. I'm learning that again, it's just not about me. It is God it is his spirit. And I need to learn how to be desperate for him to move in the ways he wants to and surrender to that will vulnerable. Right. And uh, yeah, I'm not great at it yet, but I, I lo- I'm feeling so much more like God is with me so much more valued by God. And I just stopped trying to be perfect. And I'm like, man, I just, this is how I'm at. This is where I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's cool to see. I feel so much closer to God than I've ever felt in this place. So that was pretty crazy. That was literally like two weeks ago. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Tell me a little bit about what you've seen, how you've seen God work in your ministry, people's lives changing, anything encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, every ministry prior to chance of a lifetime I've been a part of has shrunk. (laughs) (laughs) That's not the encouraging part. (laughs) Um, every single one. And, um, that does something to you, you know, that, that it's made me feel like, what's the point? Right. Right. Like, and it's not that I, not working hard it's not that i'm trying to not trying to share my faith it's and uh but it's made it hard to even rejoice when people do become christians because you're like all right you'll be here for a year Mm. maybe you'll be here for two years but i've grown so cynical and faithless that people stay around um i have a lot of friends people i said the bible with not make it you know like anyone who's listening to this i'm sure they can relate to that feeling of like this just What's the point? Like you pour your heart out and it just gets crushed time and time again. And I remember times feeling like God, I remember praying to God, like, I just feel like Satan's winning. Like you Mm. say you won the battle, but Mm. like, like five brothers left that semester. Like no one was making it in the Bible studies. Like, how is this? The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, you know, like, how is this the promise? And 
if someone's listening to this and they're there, I've been there and, um, and, uh, the encouraging news, the other side, where, what has God done? Um, and, uh, I feel like it's sometimes in, in uh, campus ministry or in a church, you know, 10 is like a great number. You're like, man, if I could see 10 people become Christians, I don't know why we gravitate towards that, but you know, last year when I was on coal, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like we did anything different. I feel like, I mean, there was a faith. There was like a vision. I think Boston, the, the, the church in Boston has been so great about that and um, in, a, in a healthy way, right? Having some goals and not being afraid of that. Um, just, but also like totally God's going to do what he's going to do, but let's have some great faith. And, and um, you know, and then in the combination of things like that year while I was in Boston, that's that December, that first fall semester, I was in the Bible with a lot of guys and like five of them got to baptism and didn't, didn't make it. So how, but there was uh there was like two sisters right in December who, who, uh, you know, made Jesus Lord and it was super encouraging, but it was like, dang it. Like this is just hard. And right. then between that semester and May, we had received two students who transferred into my school who had just become disciples. And then for that, so for that year, 10 disciples got baptized. Wow. That's and awesome. there were, there was a guy who was one of those five who said, no, I don't want this, who ended up coming back to the fall retreat the next year. Saw two, saw a couple of people get baptized and was like, I'm, I want this. Wow. So he studies the Bible. We finish. He gets baptized. I find a guy, I find a wallet on the floor randomly uh call the guy in the wallet he comes he's on the football team at bsu he studies the bible he becomes a christian <laughs> uh I, I listened to a sermon going into his campus and um i feel just super challenged just about discipleship i'm walking on there's this guy behind me this just like good looking like dude who's just like got it all together and i just felt like i need to share my faith with this guy so I turn around. It's like that awkward, like you're in front of him on the sidewalk. So you have to like literally turn around and like confront him. And uh, he studies the Bible, becomes a Christian. Um, there's this girl, Celine, who studied the Bible all the way through. She's amazing. She's most faithful. But she she kind of got caught up with some sin. She's like, she'll tell the world about what she's done in her past. And um, she got caught up in some sin. She was dating this guy. And... Um, so she didn't end up getting baptized when she was going to like that day got canceled because she got caught up in some stuff. But then she turns around, studies the Bible. Her boyfriend turns around, studies the Bible. Both of them become Christians. They're dating again. They're both like serving like crazy in the ministry, like telling everyone and their mom about God and what he's done in their lives. And, um, and then like all these young Christians are bringing out their friends their friends are becoming Christians. And honestly, it was just like, it wasn't that we did anything different. Mm. It wasn't that we just, we just kept praying mm. and trusting in God. And, uh, and so 10, 10 faithful young students um, became disciples and God just totally blessed it. And um, so now our ministry, we've got like 19 disciples and, and 10 of them are under, 10 or 11 or 12 are under one year old spiritually. That's awesome. Um, and uh, it's just an awesome group that God is building in uh, Bridgewater now. So it must, it's, be, it's so it must cool. be so encouraging. It really was. It was, it was a really, really encouraging. <clears throat>
What are you, what are your dreams for the future? I mean, what's, what's your, what's your plan to make this life count? Um, that is very much a question, right? I'm 24. I'm figuring it out. Um, I will say that I'm a huge fan of what life coaching is. And there's a lot of misunderstanding about what, like, is it therapy? Is it just advisors? Is it discipling? And it, and I'm not going to get into all of what it is, but, um, I'm really excited about, um, I'm going to start, uh, God willing, a coaching relationship with Jeannie Shaw coming up. Um, she's teaching one of my classes, um, in that school of missions program I'm in right now. And I think to get where I like to have, have these new ambitions, like I was talking about, I'm like learning to develop these new ambitions, like even in the ministry, like getting to a place where I know that I'm doing these things to build God's kingdom and not just to satisfy something in me. Right. So as I work through some of these things, I, um, I'm, I'm using coaching as a means to kind of be able to build a vision. So hopefully in these next few weeks, or these next, this, maybe this year, right? Hopefully this year is a big year where I can kind of cast some of that vision, get some help thinking through what do I want to do? Where do I want to have impact? Um, you know, where, maybe in the ministry, how is God going to do that? Is there other areas too? Like, um, and so, so yeah, so in some ways, I think the coaching is really going to help me kind of figure out some of this stuff. Um, I pray to get married, you know, throwing it out there, you know, just to have a faithful <laughs> a faithful partner to do life with. I think that's definitely a dream for the future. And, um, you know, I can be such a task driven guy. And so to get help with like the relational side, I think would be so helpful. And mm-hmm. so that's something, um, and like a weird dream I have, I don't know about weird, but I really would love to be a pilot one day, like not as like a profession, but as like a, a side thing. And I don't even know why I have that. I mean, I, I had four, this is, I did have four pilots in my family, my grandfather, my aunt, my dad's cousin, and uh, someone else that I don't remember now, but so I, I don't know. Some part of me wants to do that, and I don't know how God's going to use that. Um, I don't know where the barbering thing is going to go if God really is going to keep blessing that. So I wish I could give you like I'm not much of a five year plan guy. I could use help with like you know five years. Some of the other podcasts I hear these guys like ten years we're going to do this, and here's our numbers. I'm like I can be a big dreamer, but I need help with like a all right. How, how are we going to break that down? Right. So, but I want to be a faithful disciple till I die and, and help as many people as I can. That's, that's my goal. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Keenan, thank you so much for your time. All the best to you there in Boston and in your future. And we'll definitely be praying for you. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks for casting vision in the kingdom of God. That's super inspiring. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Here's how you can help support the program. First, hit the subscribe button and send a link to your friends. Let people know about it. Secondly, read and review one of my books, either How to Plant and Grow a Church or Courage, How to Make This Life Count. You can find those on Amazon.com. Finally, support the Rob Skinner podcast with a gift. The link is in the show notes. It's really easy, easy to give because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day and make this life count.